to share a message with you that I have titled Windows of Heaven. Now, as we go into this message, before we go into the text in Malachi 3.8, I want us to, uh, to understand a little bit about what a window is. A window, like we have here, these stained glass, uh, there's windows that's like this that you can't see out and you can't see in. But a window is an opening. It's a portal. It's a place of release. Even though you can't see in and you can't see out of these windows, it's still a portal to light. And as we are looking this morning in this text on the windows of heaven, I, I want you to picture in your mind a place of release from God's throne for God's people, for a blessing, a benefit, for peace to come into our life. And as we go into Malachi uh, chapter 3, the Lord was writing to a last day, a last day church. He's writing to a group of people that he was trying to get their attention of then some thousands of years ago, but also is relevant to us today. As we go through this process of time, uh, we all find ourselves in, in places in this life and stages, seasons, to where we can start to drift away from God and we lose that closeness. We, 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 can, we can, through a process of time, start to become stagnant. Our, our joy, our, our purpose starts to dwindle. And as I believe that the Lord is doing something in the earth today, all around the world and for His church I believe that he is wanting to open up windows to pour out a blessing upon God's people that we cannot contain. Just as the scripture describes here in Malachi 3. But as we go into this text, just like all things in God's word, where there is a release of God to God's people, there is a process, a stage and process of events that he lays out that's to take place upon the earth before the releasing comes. And as we go into Malachi 3, he's speaking to a group of people that knowed who he was. He knowed his power. They had witnessed his power. They'd worshipped him. They have given their life, parts of life, through, through time families have sacrificed for God. And now he comes and, and uh, he gives them this message and I'm sure when it fell upon the heart of the people that there were some who received and there were some who rejected the word because it took offense uh, in their spirit. And I want all offense to be washed away from the house of the Lord this morning that we can, we can look at this text together, that we can allow the Holy Spirit to analyze our life, that we can take part in the process that God is orchestrating in the earth today that we can experience the break of the curse that we're getting ready to read in Malachi 3.8. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James this morning. He goes by opening up, he says, Will a man rob God? And your Bible is probably a question mark. Which means maybe this isn't for all people, but it's a question that he poses to man. And he says, Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Is it in tithes and offerings? He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
brings tithe, bring tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough for us, for us to receive it. Jesus. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to ask that your, your Holy Spirit fill this sanctuary this morning, Lord, that you would, uh, you would touch my, my lips, Lord. Uh, this frail vessel is weak as what I am, Lord, and that you would empower it, Lord, for your purposes this morning. Lord, that the word, Father, Lord, as it goes forth from this place, that it would bring life to all of those that hear it, Lord. Lord, this is not just a, a word of correction. It's a word of encouragement of who you are and what you promise and what you're about to do. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, you would touch every need, every heart in this sanctuary this morning in such a way, Lord, that catapults them into levels of faith that they've not yet been able to experience, Lord. That full joy, Lord, and restoration will come into the house of God this morning, not just in Poole, Kentucky, but around the world, Lord. Lord, that you would encourage your ministers, Lord. Encourage those that sit in temple bodies of worship, Lord, all over this great land and all four corners of the earth, Lord. Lord, may you come upon them in such a mighty way, Lord, that it washes all things, Lord, away except for you, that the cross would be magnified, Lord, in the lives of those that call upon your name. Lord, that we'd worship you in spirit and in truth in one accord with one purpose and one mind, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for who you are, Lord, and what you're about to do, in Jesus' name, amen. Windows of heaven, have you ever thought when you've read this passage in your mind of what a window in heaven would look like? I, I can't even fathom in my mind what heaven looks like for one, let alone a window or a portal that is there now, Jesus and as I, I go through this in my mind, I think, Lord, what sets at this window? What is, what's close to the window? Who has the job of opening the window, for one? And since it's a window, it can obviously be open and closed. Jesus, and, and as, I, as I start to read into this text, I, I ask the Lord, Lord, you, you say that there's a window in heaven and that you will open it up to your people and that there'll be such a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. But why so much in my life and why so much in the lives of others that I come into contact with, there's not this overflow of this blessing that seems to be perceived to the physical eye. And he took me to Scripture in Genesis 7 where the first time that a window in heaven was ever mentioned. Window in heaven in Genesis 7 was when God opened up the heavens and he allowed rain to descend upon the earth for 40 days, what? No, 40 nights. The second time that you see windows of heaven mentioned is in 2 Kings 7 and 19 where Elisha is speaking to the king and they got this Syrian army that's camped about. There's this great famine in the land and Elisha's given a message to God's people, and they're not wanting to hear it. They're not wanting to receive this message. And, and the king has this officer that's leaning upon his hand. If you go back through, I'm not going to turn there this morning, but uh, he tells him, he said, there's this great famine, but look, tomorrow morning, 
There's going to be flour that's sold for next to nothing at the city gate. There's going to be, food is going to be so plentiful that, that there's not even room enough to store it. And this officer, in all of his doubt, he speaks up to Elisha and he says, Well, if the Lord could create windows in heaven, then so shall it be. And Elisha looks at him and says, Oh, it's going to be, son, and you will see it, but you will never taste it. In the very next day, the Syrian army, they hear these noises in the night. That sounds like thousands of chariots, horses. They're camped out getting ready to come against uh, chosen people of God in Israel. And, and they hear all of this ruckus, but there's nothing really there. It's all in their mind. God had placed it in their mind. And they take off running to the wilderness. Well, children of Israel, there's a few people, some lepers that find people that have been cast out of the city, people that weren't allowed to come in to be part of God. See, the outcast found the blessing. They come into this place and they say, they come back and report to the king, look, there is food, there's gold, there's donkeys and horses tied up at their tents like nothing ever happened and they're not here. They start gathering all this stuff up and they, they say they decide amongst themselves, look, we can't just... Keep this all for ourselves because if somebody finds out, then they're probably going to kill us the next day. So we, we, they go and they report this to the king. King sends out some people and some chariots and they find out that it's true and they bring all of these resources back into the city of God. And as this officer that had spoke this word to Elisha was promoted to the gatekeeper, amazingly, he's the gatekeeper of the temple of the of the, the body of Christ, the house of the Lord, he's trampled to death in the middle of the street. He's seen the blessing that was prophesied. He's seen it. But he not get to touch it. Jesus. And he says in Isaiah 24, here's another example of when windows of heaven is described in the Bible as he's talking about the last days. And I will, if, if you will turn to this one with me, uh, Isaiah 24, 18. And we won't stay here long, but I want to read the context of this passage. This is going to take us to where we're about to go this morning. 24, 18. In my Bible, the beginning of chapter 24 is titled Impending Judgment on the Earth. This is something that we have not seen yet that is still to come. And he says, Isaiah declares to the to these people, he's declaring to them all these years ago and is declaring to us today of who the Lord is, what he's capable of, and what he is about to do. And he says that, And it shall be that those who flee from the noise of fear shall fall into the pit, and who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth is shaken." Verse 19, the earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaking exceedingly, he says. In verse 20, the earth shall reel and fro like a drunkard and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it and it will fall and it will not rise again. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones and the earth of the king and on the earth, the kings of the earth. 
They will be gathered as prisoners and gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prison. After many days they will be punished and the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and then Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. Now I read all that because it seems to be a lot of impending doom. But then when we come to the end, we know where we are in Christ. That our word says that he has prepared a house, a place for us to be with him for all eternity. Those that know him are going to be with him in this glorious place. And he is going to be the king, not the kings that we see upon the earth today, the principalities of darkness that have been set up all around us, but King Jesus is going to take his rightful place. Now, as we come into this in Malachi, as uh, we're reading about this window of heaven and these blessings that's to be poured out upon a people, which is for you and me. It's imperative that we know the stage of the process that has to happen in our life in the church before this blessing can be poured out. And he says, first, there has to be an acknowledgement. There's got to be an examination uh, of our life. And he says, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? And they're trying to come up with all these ideas of how this might be possible. And the Lord goes down and he tells him, he says something very interesting in verse 10. He says, but all the ties, bring all the ties into the storehouse. Now, as we look at the storehouse, we look at that as this physical temple. Here, message after message preached about bring the 10%. Bring the first tenth of your income into the storehouse for the purpose of God. But I want to pose something that's contrary to that doctrine and what maybe you've heard your entire life. is What is the storehouse of God? What is the temple of God? According to the New Testament, he says that we are now the living temple. Kind of changes things. Wait a minute. Bring into the storehouse all the tithes and offerings and then blessing will be poured out upon you? You mean we're not just bringing it into the church? Bring it to our, our own person, ourself, for the purposes of God? He says that there will be food in my house that we're able to feed those who are hungry, spiritually, physically, that we, not the corporate church, but first we are able to meet these needs on a personal level. He says, and now, try me in this and see if I will not pour out through you such blessings that there will not be room enough to contain it. Say, amen. I'd like to get to the last part before the first. I, I like to skip all of, the, all of the process before and let's just go on down to the blessing. What does windows of heaven look like being opened upon the earth? Well, you sing worship songs, especially in the charismatic realm and the word of faith and different, and different denominations and things. We, we sing about the glory of God. We sing about heaven's reign coming down and descending upon our life in the earth. And we pray and we, we reach out with our outstretched arms. Yes, let your glory fall, Lord. Let it rain. Let it rain down from heaven. Amen. What does that mean? What does it look like to have the reign of God fall upon the earth? What does it look like when a window of heaven has been opened? Well, according to the word of God and any other time that a window has been opened, it's been a great purging. 
It does not look like a blessing when it first comes. Why? Because it has a deeper purpose. When a window of heaven is opened, Jesus, it's time to get ready, church. It's this, this rain that descends upon the earth is sent for one, pur- for one purpose. This, this blessing is, is sent to wash away anything that goes contrary to Christ for Christ to be elevated as number one. This has to happen before anything else in the process. Jesus, when he is number one, he says that I will pour out such a blessing. Blessing in the Hebrew meant a benefit. It's peace. It's benefits of God. What is the benefit of God? Eternal life, forgiveness of sin, ability to be able to serve others. It's selflessness. Benefits of Christ is a selfless life. Jesus, he says that I will pour upon you without measure. This will, will come upon you with such a, a rushing tide that you will not be able to contain the compassion and the joy that I will place in your heart for your family, for your community, for the lost, for those that do not love Christ. And then on down in verse 11, we go into the next part of the promise. He says, and I will rebuke the devourer For your sake, Jesus, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. I want to speak to a group of people of how how many people that will hear this message or may be hearing it right now has had vines in your life that you have planted that has failed to bear fruit? Jesus. What is it, expectations that you've had, whether it be family, whether it be financial, whether it be health-wise, whatever that it may be, has not produced fruit? The promise says that He will rebuke the devourer of the vine and that He will make fruitful that what cannot be fruitful on its own because it receives the nutrient from on high. Now we're going we're gonna to backtrack into uh, Jeremiah chapter 4. Um, and if you, if you will, if you don't, you don't got to turn to all these verses, but I would encourage you to write them down because Jeremiah chapter 4 goes hand in hand with this blessing of God that Malachi is declaring that that God wants to pour out upon his people. Jeremiah chapter 4. Jesus. In verse 3. And you start if you start in verse 1, he's talking to a group of people just like Malachi and he's he's telling God's chosen people his Church, basically, he says that if you will repent and you will turn to me and you'll put away their abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. What does it mean not, not to be moved? It means not to be moved and turned into a vagabond, a, a wanderer. What happened with Cain when he killed his brother and he went and established himself in the city of Nod? We learned a few weeks ago, what does the word Nod mean? It means to wander. 
It was in that place of wondering that theology was built against God. It was the first, it was when weights and balances first come in to the human mind, understanding of gain, of greed. Lines were set to lands, walls were built around cities. He says, You shall not be moved. You will not be a wanderer. You will be caught in my presence where there is no wondering, there is no confusion. He says, And you shall swear that the Lord lives in truth and judgment and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. Jesus, this is a great promise of God. Nations will be blessed when, when Jesus Christ, when, when the person of Jesus Christ, the presence of God comes into the heart of man. It changes nations. And he says, for thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. And we want to speak to the headship of the home this morning, which is the men that sit in this sanctuary, not the women. The men is the head of the home. Men is the head of the church. The woman comes up alongside to help carry the vision. God made it that way. I didn't write it. Read it in the Word of God. This is not a message against women, but this is to put men in their place because the reason why we see such a reversal of roles in the home, women now becoming the man and having to become the provider when the man is the provider. And we've got women in church that's the provider spiritually for the home. It was never meant to be that way. It was meant to be the man. It's meant to carry the spiritual burden for the home and for the woman to come up and to enhance him in the kingdom of God. He says, now, listen, men. Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Do you know what fallow ground is? We live in farming country here. Probably everybody knows. Fallow ground is a piece, a parcel of ground that has been allowed to go dormant for a season in the growing season in order for it to soak up nutrients, in order for it to be plowed the next season to produce a greater harvest. But see, there's something about fallow ground that farmers know is when ground is left dormant for a period of time, something naturally happens on it. It's just a natural event. Brush starts to grow up on the ground. Thorns start to grow up. It's under brush. It has to be cleared before the ground can be turned over, once again, to receive seed. So as he's speaking... To the church, he's speaking to leadership, he's speaking to the men, he's, he's all around the globe. The Lord is saying, break up your fallow ground, church. You have laid dormant for a season. See, it seems like for a period of time, the, the church seems to just be kind of so-so. It seems like that 
the world and, and darkness has overtaken the earth. The church is being pushed back. You know, it's a, this is a season. But the Lord says to a church, to a group of people that desire the windows of heaven to be opened, the first thing that has to happen is the brush has to be cleared from off your property. That property is you. The heart, the ground he's speaking of is ourself. He says, well, what is the brush? It's anything that goes against the character and virtue of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's sin has to be removed from the home. Christ's likeness has to come in to be number one. And he says, after this, I will send the tiller, and the tiller will come and break this ground. It's going to turn it over, which means what you see right now is now going to be beneath. What's beneath is now going to be on top, which is a freshness, and it can receive the engrafted seed of the Word of God for it to produce the harvest that it was intended to produce. But as long as the body and as long as the world and as long as men and women of God continue to reject the word of God and they accept things as they are, they accept the brush of theology, they accept religion, they accept their passiveness, they accept their complacency, then the brush will not be removed. So then when the tiller comes and it's tilled, it can't receive the seed that it was intended to receive to produce the harvest. Jesus, the reign of God has to descend first. It has to wash away our heart. It's got to wash our mind. There has to be a purging in the house of God to put things back in the order, in the home. Men have to raise up to start becoming men. Jesus, because you can give birth to a seed, don't make you a man. What makes you a man, according to the word of God, is a godly man that takes control of his, of his home, that takes control in the spiritual, and takes his rightful place as leader of the home, and leads his wife in the ways of the Lord, that helps memorize scripture. You declare over your home the goodness of God. Your children will believe in God for great things in Bull, Kentucky. And it starts with the men. Jesus. He says, break up your fallow ground. Start to clear the brush. Break out the weed eater in your life. Break out the tiller. Break, break it all out. Start clearing it down. Pour it into a pile for it to be burned and washed away so that the new can come. Jesus. We need a freshness in our community. Jesus. We need a freshness in our church. We need a fresh anointing. We need a fresh fire. Jesus. The old fire ain't going to cut it in these last days. Even though the fire's not changing, the fire's getting hotter. Jesus, it was never meant to stay the same. Jesus, what does he say? King Nebuchadnezzar has the vision of a rock being cut from a mountainside. It's symbolic of Christ. It was rolling down this mountain. He had a big statue built of himself. Jesus, all the layers just represent selfishness. It's everything that was dear to his heart apart from Christ. When Christ was cut from the mountain by the hand of God, not touched by human hand, and it hit the statue and broke it into a million pieces, it was all brushed up into a pile and blowed away to be remembered no more. It come with intensity. Christ is to be intensified. 
in our life. That's last week our message to mixing. We're to be mixed. We're to stir one another in the gift of God and the knowledge of the grace of God so we may be mixed together in this life in the one accord blended with all of the things, the craziness, all of the insecurities, the fears, the things that's going on in the world and we can bring Christ to it. He says to be mixed is intensity. It's to be fused together. It don't just stay in one place of a molecular form. It changes form. Jesus, thank you, Lord. So the end result turns out of what the Lord originally intended it to be, which is Himself. Jesus. Church, I thank God that we serve a God that is concerned with the most intimate details of our life. That He is a God that wants us to be free. That we experience John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says unto them, He says that if you, will, if you are truly my, deceive, my disciple, you will hold on to my teaching. And then, only then, He says you will know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Jesus, are you free in the house of the Lord today? My God, we need, we need freedom in the house of the Lord. We need Isaiah 10, 27, the yoke breaking anointing in these last days. There is an anointing that breaks the yoke. What is anointing? Anointing is put into action our faith. That's when the anointing comes. That's the only place the anointing comes is a place of action, a place of service from a place of gratitude. You can't be anointed any other way. I can't give you anointing. No minister can stand and give another man or woman anointing. That's a misconception. That's a false doctrine. Jesus is the only oil keeper. We are only blessed to have Him rub off onto our life that we can be a representation of Him. Jesus. That way when we touch the ground, when we touch the earth, we make a difference. It looks different. It sounds different. Jesus. That John 7.38, He says, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, church. Acts 3.19 He says, Repent. Some versions say, turn to the Lord. Be converted. That your sins will be blotted out. That times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Church, do we need a refreshing? Do you need a refreshing today? It comes in one place. It comes from His presence. But there comes a time when the Lord says enough is enough. Some things that we have held on to for so long the season is changing. You ain't going to be able to hold on to it through this next season. If it goes contrary to this book, it will not stand. If your theology goes contrary to this book, it will not stand. Your religion will not stand. Nothing will stand in the presence of the holy rain when it descends upon the earth. Jesus, and I pray that the remnant is able to receive this morning
and encouragement of faith to go the distance because we serve a great God. His name is Jehovah Jireh. He is provider. He is Yahweh. He is Lord. He is Elohim. He is a master, Jesus. He is Adonai. He is a great Lord. He's the great physician. He's Jehovah Rapha, the healer. He's Jehovah Ra, the shepherd. He's Jehovah Shema. The Lord is here. Jesus, it's time that we start professing the name of God. Jesus, not only just out of our lips, but in our person. He says, now you bring in the tithes into this storehouse. You bring in your resources into this storehouse for me to use you to be a blessing to the world. I will open up the windows upon you. Jesus, there's going to be a great purging, yes, but it's comfortable for those who know God because it, that's the place where we become a comfortable dwelling place for Him. And the things that's being washed away is like chains being broke off the life of an addict, Jesus. And when all that's left is Him, Jesus, He says that there'll be an overflow in your life. Oh my God. He says that there will be, your vine will produce fruit. Jesus, there will be an enhancement around you. Jesus, I pray that this morning, that if the Lord has touched you in this message in any way, if there is any brush in your life before we take the next step into the next season, that it will be cut down, that it will be hewed and raked into a pile and thrown into the presence of the Lord, that our lives can be tilled, cultivated for the presence of God to be infiltrated into our life, to grow, to produce the harvest that only He can produce. Church, Jesus, are you willing to lay it down this morning? Jesus, are we willing? That's all He asks is for a willing vessel. Jesus.